You're listening to the preaching ministry of First Baptist Church in Freeport, Florida. Come build with us on Christ, our firm foundation. To learn more, visit fbcfreeport.life.
the welfare of God's people. Right, this is a how-to message. How to seek the welfare of God's people. In verse 10, we're going to see that's exactly what Nehemiah has come to Jerusalem to do, to seek their welfare. This is one way that we could describe the overarching mission of the church, uh, the, the missio dei, the mission of God, in one sense, is about seeking the welfare of God's people in all nations. We know that the gospel is for all nations. What we'll see today is that in this great overarching mission, seeking the welfare of God's people, every one of God's people has a part to play. Amen? You and I, we all do, young and old. At every season of our life as children of God, we have a part to play, though not all the same part, right? In fact, mothers, I want you to know you have a huge role in seeking the welfare of God's people. A huge responsibility and duty before God, which I want as your pastor, all the days of our ministry together, I want to esteem the role and duty of motherhood. Joseph Booth, in his book, The Mission of God, he says, at the heart of God's reign, we know that God rules and reigns over all creation, at the heart of God's reign is the godly family living joyfully in covenant obedience to God. When you see the, the biblical story from Genesis 1, the first family, Adam and Eve, called to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. You get to Deuteronomy 6, the, the command to parents, the Lord our God is one, therefore teach your children to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We get to the New Testament, <clears throat> the church is called the household of faith. The Bible is really a story of family. A family of families. That's the church. And so, mothers, you have a vital place right at the heart of God's mission for his people. And I want you to know that and feel that and embrace that. So let's pray this morning. Father, today on Mother's Day and today on the Lord's Day, Sunday, where we commemorate that our God has walked out of the grave conquering sin and death and hell. On this day, we worship you, and we need you. God, we need you to breathe life and revival spirit into our weary hearts. We need you to come and indwell and empower your people for the mission of seeking the welfare of God's people. Help us today. In your name we pray. Amen. There's a number of things I want us to see today on this theme of how to seek the wealth of God's people. Can y'all hear me okay back there? The first thing we see is we must lean in to duty. Alright? Lean in to duty. Nehemiah has just been promoted from cupbearer to governor. Alright, if you go to chapter 5, of verse uh, verse 
14, Nehemiah tells us that in the 20th year, which is where we pick up in chapter 2, King Artaxerxes made him governor of Judah. And with this, this uh, new promotion comes a duty to build and fortify the walls around Jerusalem. Nehemiah leans in to his duty. In verse 9, we see him new, new to his role. He says that he came to the governors of the province beyond the river. This is the trans-Euphrates region where Judah and Jerusalem lie. And it says he gave the king's letters. So Nehemiah as governor had letters that he could give to all the surrounding governors to say, this is my God. He's been appointed by me to a new position as governor of Judah. Don't bother him. Do whatever he needs. Get out of the way. He's come through. He's got a job to do. He's here as my ambassador. Can you imagine? I mean, that's a big role for, for Nehemiah here. And, and, and it would be very tempting to shrink back and say, I don't know if I can do this. And if we're all honest, we've all been promoted if, if we've worked hard and done well and, and asked God to, to prosper our way we know what it is to get promoted whether that's to, to the role of husband and wife father, mother uh, teacher pastor, what you name it we need God's help and we need to lean into it and say Lord you prosper my way, I'm going to give it my best and that's what Nehemiah is doing here he understands he has a new God-given authority that he has to learn to wield for the good of the people. And so he does that, and he shows up with a military escort. All right, so everyone knows, whoa, this is, this is not just some nobody. This guy comes with all the force and might of the king. All right, he's got letters and horses and servicemen at his disposal. And that's a stewardship he's held accountable to before the Lord. Amen? Now here's the thing. We have the same mission of seeking the welfare of God's people, but different duties. For example, in Ezra 8, Ezra has the same mission, but his role is different. Ezra is not political. His role and duty is is in dealing with the spiritual matters of Judah. He's been sent by the king to reinvigorate the heart and soul of Jerusalem by worshiping God. So he's tasked with building the temple, reinstituting the priesthood, and reorienting the people of God around the law of God and the worship of God. And then in comes Nehemiah to build a wall around that to keep it safe so that it can flourish. You see how they're working together, but different roles and duties. In fact, Ezra declined to ask the king for a military escort. He said that was not fitting for his job. He needed strategically to show that the Lord was his protection. And so instead of a military escort, which is a legitimate use for Nehemiah, he does fasting and prayer and the Lord takes care of him. So two different roles on the same mission. 
And that brings us to the church in Romans chapter 12 and verse 6 and 8. Paul says, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. God is the one who divvies out the gifts and the roles and the duties to get us all on mission. Amen? And what does God expect us to do with the gift which he gives us, different as they are? Well, Paul goes on, and he says, if one's gift is prophecy, let him use it in proportion to his faith. In other words, lean in. All right? If you've got a great faith, well, you'd better be a pretty ferocious prophet for my name. All right? If you're just starting out, well, well don't. You know, don't get out of yourself. But lean in and grow in your role. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is giving, he says give generously. Alright, some people have the gift of giving. You worked hard for the glory of God. He blessed you financially. You prospered. Hallelujah. And you have the gift of giving. And the church benefits from that. The mission is fueled by that. Lean in. Don't be stingy. Give generously. If it is leading, lead with diligence. Don't be a lazy, half-hearted leader that nobody wants to follow. Lean in. If it is showing mercy, do it cheerfully. And so we're to lean in to the duty which God gives us. That brings us to mothers. You know that the Bible gives mothers a very specific duty. A unique duty that no man can do. And this goes back to Genesis 1. He made them male and female. There is a telos, which is, is the original word here for divine purpose. And our duties, some of our duties are anchored in our nature and our telos. God has wired Mothers for a unique duty. Titus chapter 2. Older women in the church are to live in such a way that they can mother and train the younger women. To do what? To love your husbands. To love your children. To be self-controlled and pure. Working at home. Kind. Submissive to their husbands. And it says, do all of this want so that the word of God will not be maligned. So, mothers, you have a very sacred duty. The Bible calls you to lean into it for the welfare of God's people and so that God will not be maligned. What happens when we lean into our duty and we do it well? Well, we catch the attention of the enemy. God's enemy does not like it when God's people lean into our duty. So, in verse 10 we read that Sanballat, you just know he's going to be bad. Alright? If you get a guy named Sanballat, watch out. The Horonite, and then he's got a sidekick, alright? Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, they, when they heard that Nehemiah had rode into town, it displeased them greatly. That someone had come to do what? To seek the welfare of God's people. It displeased them greatly. God's enemies are greatly displeased when you and I lean in to our duties for mission. 
Now, Sanballat is the most prominent enemy. He is the governor of Samaria, uh, according to extra-biblical documents. Um, in fact, there's three generations of Sanballat. So it looks like two of his sons follow in his footsteps as governor. And there's nine generations of, of his family that have been uh, traced through extra-biblical doctrine. In other words, this guy is well-connected. He's got deep roots. He's the kind of enemy that's not going away. You, you feel that? Some enemies, you can't just appease them. You have to face them in the Lord's strength and not let them get you off mission. Amen? Then there's Tobiah, who is possibly the governor of Ammon. And there is Geshem, who shows up in verse 19. And it looks like he is possibly the king of Kedar, which is to say that Nehemiah finds himself surrounded by enemies. Okay? So, that's the call of God on our lives. Are you with me? We have to lean into duty for the sake of our king even when it's hard and we're surrounded by enemies, we have to believe deeply that God has us right where He wants us and He will not fail us. Amen? Amen. There's a back story here. The blood is, the bad blood is boiling in Ezra 4. It says, The enemies of Judah come and they say to the leaders, We want to help build. Let us help you build. After all, we worship the same God that you worship. You know what the leaders told them? They said, take a hike. They said, take a hike. They said, you have nothing to do with us. One of the, the, the principles and lessons that emerges from Nehemiah on leadership is that leaders have to do good gatekeeping against the sand ballots of our context. Who, who are the sand ballots? These are, these are the people with poisonous ideas and agendas. They want to come in to help, and really it is to subvert the mission of God. You feel me? You understand that? The church has pastors appointed by the chief shepherd, Jesus. Remember Paul in 1 Corinthians, he said that we tear down every uh, lofty idea that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Part of the shepherd's job is gatekeeping against the sand ballots who bring in destructive agendas and ideologies that set themselves up ever so subversively. They, they close the wolfish agenda and the, the sheepskin of meek, mild, I'm just here to serve and help you. And if you let them in, they do their work. Well, it's Mother's Day. So I want you to know that one of the ways the church has failed mothers for generations is pastors have let the same ballot of feminism slide into the church to help build up women. You believe me? Got a little question there? Let me, let me quote you from the mother of feminism. Simone de Beauvoir. 
She is the, the, the spokeswoman of feminism. Uh, her writings in the 1900s shaped and gave form to the second wave of feminism, which was the sexual revolution of the 60s, by the way. This is what she says. No woman should be authorized to stay at home to raise her children. That's what she says. No woman should be authorized. You hear her? If the women's movement gets their way, there will be laws. And by the way, there have been attempts to pass laws that require women to have a job outside the home. She says no woman should be authorized to stay home and raise her children because, and precisely because, she said, these are her words, if there is such a choice, too many women will make that choice to stay home and raise their kids. So what happens, mothers? The sand ballad of feminism came in. She couldn't pass her laws, but she poisoned our minds. For generations now, women have been shamed into submission to the culture and have abandoned by the droves the post of motherhood. Because of sand ballots who came in. We have to lean into our duties and not let any of the enemies take us off duty because we have a big, important mission to seek the welfare of God's people. And I tell you, the welfare of God's people includes people outside these walls who have yet to come in. That's evangelism, that's the gospel, that's our jobs. So that's the first point. Lean into duty. Secondly, keep a low profile. <laughs> this is a tactical move Nehemiah makes. In verse 11, he rides into Jerusalem and he's there for three days, verse 11 tells us. And he's there for three days. He's discreetly surveying the situation and strategizing for the rebuilding of the wall. Notice in verse 12, he arose at night. You see that? Some of you men may have served in combat. You may have had some night missions. You understand, sometimes you have to be covert. He arose at night. It says he took just a few men. He didn't want anyone to know what he was doing. Are you with me? since he told no one the things God had put in his heart. Alright? He had big, scary, dangerous things in his heart that if his enemies found out, they would mount a full force to shut it down. And we have things in our heart in this church God's called us to do that there are enemies out there. If work gets out, they will do everything they can Amen. to shut it down. Amen. You realize just yesterday... The police in Canada chased a pastor down on the interstate, pulled him over, drug him out of his car, and put him with his hand behind his back, and they drug him to the car. What was his crime? Holding church services. That's Canada. Canadians are nice people. Until the devil gets old and the sand ballots come in. Nehemiah didn't even take an animal. Anybody here got a pet? Man, my dogs are so noisy. I tell you, we, we, 
We've come close to, I've come close to shooting my dog. I, that's just a Texas country boy expression. I love my dogs. <laughs> Never shoot Gracie or Lucy. Didn't, didn't take any animals because the horses might snort. The, the, the loud, you know, entourage of clopping hooves. None of that. This is stealth. At night, in verse 16, they got back and it said, none of the officials had a clue where they had gone and what they had done. Mission accomplished. Low profile. You know, this reminds us of Christ in his ministry. Remember when Christ came? He was born in a lowly manger. The world barely noticed. Well, that was on purpose. God was on a mission, and he had to keep a low profile because he was invading the enemy's territory to take back his kingdom. This is God's kingdom. You understand that? The prince and the power of the air thought it was his. It's not. As soon as Herod found out that, that the king of the Jews had been born, he tried to kill him. Remember, he murdered all the boys two years and younger. So Jesus kept a low profile. He had to be smuggled into Egypt, where for 30 years he lived in relative obscurity until John the Baptist announced his public ministry, saying, make straight paths. The king has come. Repent. The kingdom is at hand. And after that public notice, everyone wanted to kill Jesus. And so there were periods of time where Jesus had to keep a low profile. And he, time and again, he slipped elusively through their hands because Jesus came to lay down his life, not have it taken from him. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> well, Jesus, in Matthew 10, he said to his people, he said, look, I'm sending you guys out as sheep among Wolves. Do you realize that? Now, we live in Freeport. People are pretty nice here. We've got a lot of freedom. But if you're paying attention, the sand ballasts of our generation have been poisoning the well, and there is an attitude change. There's a changing of the wind against the church. There's a lot more of ferocious, wolfish attitude against the church in our day. You need to pay attention to that because you're out there. Your children are out there. Jesus does not want his people to be eaten alive and to run home with our tail between our legs. So he says to his people on our mission, <clears throat> be wise as servants. Remember that part? Now, we're real good at being innocent as doves. All right? And that's commendable. We're not to play dirty. We don't fight by the same rules as the world, do we? We live by a different set of rules because our God is holy and we want to honor Him. It would be a shame to win the war and give God a black eye. Amen? Amen. Be wise as servants. Why? Because we're at war with the servant. You understand? That, that goes back to Genesis 1. We are at war with the serpent, the devil. And we've got to be as wise as him and, and a step ahead of him, anticipating his moves because we know who and what he is. You know, this is one of the ways to understand the story of the Bible. 
quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament is Psalm 110, verse 1. Think about that. The most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament says this, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies my what? My footstool. That is one way to understand the story of the Bible. God is conquering all his enemies, and the game is not over until the last enemy death is put to death. And I got good news for you guys. Uh, real good news here. We're going to win. We're going to win. You know how I'm confident of this? Because God the Father said to God the Son, you did a good job, Son. Remember Jesus on the cross, his last breath, he says, it's finished. Daddy, I did it. I did what you told me to do. And God the Father said, and you did it real well. Now you get up here, and you just have a seat. You have a seat, and now I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to fill the church who you died to redeem, and they're going to go and conquer the enemies. Amen? You see that? You see it? We're going to win. If we'll just be faithful. And that's the Great Commission. Matthew 28, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me. And I'm with you always. I will never leave you. Every step of the way out this door, I'm with you. King of kings, Lord of lords, sitting on the throne, all authority. I'm with you in public. I'm with you at work. I'm with you in a hard marriage. I'm with you with wayward kids. I'm with you when you're surrounded by enemies. I'm with you. We're going to win. Putting all of our enemies. It's like that Bruce Lee movie. Remember? One after the other. He's just stacking bodies high. That's our King Jesus. Just stacking those enemies up. And he's going to put his feet up on top of them. The kingdom of heaven. When all of a sudden there will be no enemies. Just people who love God. And who are loved by God. Amen? Now, plot twist. Plot twist. We're all enemies of God apart from the gospel. Every last one of us. Apart from Jesus, you and I are born sinners, and sinners are the enemy of God. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died for sinners. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we're yet sinners... Christ died for you. One of the ways God conquers his enemies is by conquering our hearts. Do you understand that? That's love. Love when God so overwhelms you with who he is that you surrender your whole life to him and say, you're my king now. I was your enemy. Now I serve you with all my heart. The other way God conquers is through wrath and judgment. And I, I put that to you today. I love you. And I want you to know, I want you to be conquered by his love instead of his wrath. You understand that? I want you in the kingdom, a former enemy, not in hell. Hard-hearted till the end. 
That's what I want for you and every person outside of these walls. Amen? Amen. Lean into duty. Keep a low profile. Thirdly, light a fire. And I don't know if you've noticed, but that's what I'm trying to do today is light a fire. Light a fire. We see that Nehemiah is out there. He hasn't told a soul what he's doing. The second part of verse 16, it says this. I had not yet told the Jews, that's God's people, the priests, the nobles, or the officials, or even the rest. That includes servants, slaves, anyone who was under the household of God's people. I had not yet told them, and then he says this, those who were to do the work. I hadn't told them yet that he had a job for them. We like to say that nothing of significance was ever accomplished alone, right? It takes a team to accomplish something great. And Ralph Waldo Emerson said, nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. Amen? Amen. So that's what Nehemiah is going to do here. When the time is right, when he's got his plan together, he's in position, verse 17, he begins to light a fire. He says, then I said to them, verse 17, so he's got them assembled. He's got all the people assembled, all right? And he says, look, open your eyes. Do you see the trouble we're in? Do you see? Look. Look at Jerusalem. Just, just look at it. It's lying in ruins. The gates burned. The walls destroyed. Just look. He, he's saying to them, you can't be okay with this anymore. He's saying, look out there. Look at how people are not worshiping God. They're, they're pursuing idols. Jobs and career and money and sports and sex and booze and parties and pleasure. He says, look out there. Culture is broken down and rot and decay, and the church is sitting in the middle of it, joining right along. Just look at it. Don't be okay with this. So he shows them the problem. He wants them, like him, to have their pie pie moment where they say, okay, I can't stand this no more. And then he shows them the problem, and then he shows them the provision. You have to be careful. If you show people the giants in the land, you've got to show them a God who's bigger than the giants in the land. All right? You can fire them up or you can scare them to death. You've got to be careful. All right? I want you fired up, not scared to death. I want you to be sober-minded about what the problems are, but you need to know the provisions. Verse 18. Then I told them of the hand of my God. He told the story of how God's hand had been good upon him for good, and also how God had, used, had turned the king and what the, the, what the words of the king uh, were. And when they heard of how God had worked and provided, verse 18, it says, they all said with one unified voice, let us rise up and build. When that exciting moment, you guys go watch sports when the home team hits a winning bucket at the end. Everyone on their feet. You can't hear a sound in the building. 
Well, that's what they were doing. Everyone was rising up saying, our God is with us. Who can be against us? Let's build. It says, so they strengthened their hands for the good work of rebuilding the walls. Hebrews 10, 24 says this, let us consider how we may stir one another up towards love and good works. Every one of us needs to be thinking and asking and praying and living in such a way that we are perpetually stirring and motivating one another to stay on mission, to lean in, to light fires. Amen? And we'll close with this. Sometimes the occasion calls for looking our enemies in the eye. Sometimes you have to look your enemy in the eye. You've been patient, been trying to work things out, be a peacemaker, and they're not budging. They just keep coming back harder. They're taking your patience as weakness and they're forcing their, their will. Verse 19, send out the Hornite, Tobiah, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arab, when they heard the Amiah was there, it says they jeered at us and they despised us. You picture that? Can you picture that? They jeered. Alright, we think of Stephen in Acts 6 when they're grinding their teeth against him and stoning him and cursing him. This, this intense hatred and anger. And they despised us. They were trash-talking God's people. Here's the truth. The world out there is full of people who want you and I to be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And you can't give in to that. Romans 1.16, Paul says, and Paul lived in that kind of culture. They were always trying to pressure him to be embarrassed about Jesus. And Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Amen? Amen. I'm not ashamed. Why? <clears throat> because I know that the gospel alone is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Amen? Amen? Someone said it this way. The church has to learn to be scornproof. You're fireproof, right? You can't burn something down if it's fireproof. And you can't scorn something into submission if it's scornproof. We have to be scornproof. How do we do that? By knowing that God is in control and that the gospel which we proclaim is his power to save. Be scornproof. I remember when I was 14 years old, I went to a rival gym to play basketball. And I remember everyone in the gym was chanting Forrest Gump. They were calling me Forrest Gump. The whole game, there was this mob hanging over the rafters saying, Run, Forrest, run! They wanted to scorn me out of the gym. I mopped the floor with and it taught me to lean in and not let the enemy take me off duty. 
God has used opportunities like that in my life. I'm sure he's used opportunities like that in your life. God wants to build us up and make us scorn proof so that when the enemies come, we'll say, take your best shot. I represent Jesus. Remember David. David said to Goliath, you come at me with spears and a sword and all that muscled up nonsense. He says, I come to you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, whom you're defying. Here go. The victory will soon be mine. Amen. And we have that ultimate authority in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So I want you to take heart this week. As we close, God is going to conquer his enemies as we seek the welfare of his people. Amen? Amen. Lean into your duty. Be wise as a serpent. Sometimes you keep a low profile. Other times you light a fire. But always, you look your enemy in the eye with courage and love and say, you don't have to be my enemy. My God died for sinners. You can be born again. You can have eternal life. You can be forgiven. He'll even give you a new heart. Look your enemies in the eye and call them to faith in Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for Nehemiah and his exemplary life of seeking the welfare of God's people. Lord, help us, First Baptist Freeport, each one of us having different roles, different callings, help each of us to lean in, to have a fire in our heart, to seek the welfare of your people throughout this county, Walton County, throughout your world. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Are you ready to take God at His Word? We invite you right now to respond by faith and obedience. If you'd like to speak further about spiritual matters or to learn more about First Baptist Church in Freeport, Florida, contact us today at fbcfreeport.life.